And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Welcome to a, an exclusive episode of Lace Em Up. Uh, we have here Aaron Berndensky. I think that's how you pronounce your last name. Bendersky. Bendersky. That's very I was, close. I was very <laughs> close, yes. Um, yeah, so do you want to take your time to introduce yourself so I don't have to <laughs> sound... Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for having me, first of all, guys. I, I'm excited to be doing this. I, uh, Brett, when we met initially a few, or I guess a month ago at this point or yeah. more, we, uh, I was very excited to find another hockey fan as uh i'm brand new to boston i moved here this summer yep. uh, in july with my wife who is attending berkeley school of music and i um am in web development tech support engineering um and looking for the uh you know like developing a hockey network i guess of people who are <laughs> fans and appreciate the game and love the game so yep. um i was uh came up playing hockey basically from the time I was walking, uh, three, three and a half years old, got on skates and was playing in or- on organized teams by the time I was four. And, oh, I'm getting a phone call from my friend who I have to decline. Sorry about that. It's um, fun. So uh, played, I guess, amateur hockey, basically at the highest level that you could go up to like AAA, Tier 1, um, up until... Uh, my sophomore year of high school, where I was incredibly burned out and completely pivoted uh, the direction of my life and my interests. Um, I attribute that to a very intense hockey schedule that never stopped um, uh, for me, basically from from the age of three. And just due to some life circumstances and um, situations that like we were starting a new school, my brother and I, and we, I, I basically decided that I was going to take a break, not knowing whether it would be for one season or forever, as it turned out to be playing competitively at a high level, um, which was um, a hard thing to do. But always loved the game, still followed the game. And after college, I began coaching, doing private lessons with kids, skating lessons, skills lessons, and coaching on on. <clears throat> Uh, my Bay teams and uh, girls tier one hockey, which was a very interesting experience uh, coaching from that perspective where the rules are a little bit different and it's not quite as physical of a game. It's a lot more of a fitness game with the ladies and um, <laughs> continued up until I moved uh, in July. I was continuing doing lessons with kids. Um, generally, they were more of the underprivileged um, sort of, families that couldn't afford to get their kids that you know the instruction that that i could provide and so it was more of a uh i guess not a charitable thing but just donating my time um trying to bring up the kids that uh, wouldn't be able to do so otherwise and it's an incredibly rewarding thing so it's basically a snapshot of my involvement and uh, hopefully i can find a situation now as i'm settling in in boston where i can do the same uh out here yeah yeah, we usually, I mean, we, whenever we have guests on, it's usually, well, first off, this is maybe the first in-person, well, not, well, we're not interviewing in person right now, but this might be the first time, because, like, usually when we get guests on, 
they're usually not in Boston or they're not in Ottawa. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of cool that this is like our first, you're our first guest who's, who I've actually met in person outside of this Skype call. Um, so, so that, that kind of, this will be the two thirds in Boston podcast. Exactly. Exactly. So that's kind of, we, we, we built a majority over here. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we can overrule you, Steve. Um, uh, everyone's overruling myself, but, but it's also, you're, you're our first person, like, Cause like we don't usually talk because we usually just talk about the NHL and, and all that, you know, yeah, current events, yeah. yeah. And sometimes when it's like draft time, we talk about that, but you know, for the most part, it's always about the NHL. And so it's, it is kind of cool that, cause we don't really get to talk to people who are like, you know, who do other aspects of things like being a hockey coach or being all that stuff. So, um, that's, that's cool, uh, too. Um, so yeah, um, so yeah, we have a list of these questions. I, Steve has these, you, you have these two, Aaron, but, um, so I guess we can just get started by asking all these ones and then we can, you know, play by ear for, if we want to ask more questions based on what you say. Um, you know, like, uh, yeah, like a normal conversation kind of thing. Um, so, uh, yeah, so you kind of did explain it, but how did you get into hockey? Like how, like I understand how you got into like coaching, but originally when you started playing, how did you get into it? Well, I think uh, like a lot of other people in Southern California, it's probably owed to Wayne Gretzky as he came, I believe in 88 or 89 was the big trade from Edmonton. And I was born in 87. So the, the buzz around hockey in general in Los Angeles and Southern California was starting to pick up a lot more than it ever had before. And the Kings had been there since 67, but they were always the third or fourth stepchild in, in the hierarchy of, of sports in LA for obvious reasons. Right. However, when Gretzky came, it, it changed everything. And all of a sudden uh, there was money to be made in hockey and there were leagues to be formed right. and the interest was, um, really high and it it has remained basically uh it all started with him and then sort of as teams began to win cups and be successful uh it's really taken off so at this point now uh southern california is producing really really top level talent that's getting drafted and playing in the league and all around so i really i came up in the the very beginning wave of that and um really wouldn't have been able to have access to the type of coaching that I had um, without the great ones influences. People started realizing there was, as he came over, there was a wave of coaches and um, you know, if people are familiar, if they played the Turcotte family, which is originally from Michigan and Quebec came to Los Angeles, or at least a few of the brothers did. And Jeff Turcotte, um, was one of the first really high-level coaches, along with Steve Cook and a bunch of other names that probably maybe some people won't recognize. But um, so that sort of kicked off the interest there and attracted not just better players for the league, but people realized that they can make a living, uh, or, you know, around hockey. Right. And uh, um, so that basically, that that was I, I attributed to the great number ninety-nine. Yeah, to going um, to. Uh changing going to uh from Edmonton to LA I believe actually that's how I I uh 
talk to you or because you were wearing a Gretzky jersey at this event. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I, have, uh, I have like Oilers. Yeah, you had an Oilers Gretzky jersey on. So I was like, all right, well, let me let me talk to this guy. Um, yeah, hockey fans, I guess, attract each other. Uh, yeah, but that 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 is a good point in terms of. I mean, we they always talked about how, uh, Cal, you know, like how Gretzky kind of changed the whole landscape of hockey for obvious reasons. Um, but it, you know, I guess it makes sense that LA would be like the, like that would be a big boon, um, in hockey interest. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was huge. The, I think the number of rinks just in Southern California just absolutely exploded from a handful, maybe three or four to dozens and dozens. I mean, at this point there's, there's one in every city probably or adjacent to every city. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and in an area where you can't get out on the pond and uh, you know build your skills that way in a more like <clears throat> the the community feel up in Canada and the states that hockey is really huge is um, a lot more established I guess than than it is or what than it was in Southern California but that has certainly changed um, yeah it's uh, we were lucky we were really lucky the group of guys that I came up with there there were a few previous to myself who made it to uh, like high levels. Noah Clark is one of them. He played for Colorado College and broke into the league a little bit. Uh, Gabe Gautier was another uh, player and who played for, I believe, Denver University. I believe you then, told me that Bobby Ryan, you... Uh, yeah. I uh, I played with Bobby for two seasons in when, uh, let's see, Pee Wee and Bantam. Um, and he came over. He was... Uh, originally from New Jersey and came over due to some family reasons to Los Angeles and actually joined our team about a one month in after it was already formed for that season. So it was, it's always interesting. Once you're, once you're on a team and you sort of have this, you start establishing a bond with uh, the players that are on that team. When somebody new comes in, it's always like, Hey, who's this guy? What's he all about? And sort of, you I don't guess test him a little bit. And really quickly we realized this guy has the most amazing hands that we've ever seen. It was, and it, it was even when he came in, um, it was very apparent that he was going to go very far. And <clears throat> it was really, he wasn't the fastest skater. He certainly wasn't the most physical player, but there was something about him that in the big moments when it really counted, he would light it up. And in the biggest games, he would be, um, he would be the one that, that pulled us through. And we actually won the uh, the national championship that first year for Pee Wee AAA, which is the first time any Southern California, any California team had won. Um, that group of players um, that went through included, like in my uh, birth year for 87, some of the 86 players included a, a few really high-level uh, people. Andreas Lasopoulos played for Colorado College, Johnny Kemp played at the University of Nebraska, August Aiken played at the University of Anchorage, you know, um, and Danman played for Yale, uh, just a really about 10 guys, I think, either played high-level junior or, or college hockey from that group, and uh, it was really an amazing time. Since then, there have been a lot more national championships once right. from, uh, from Southern California, and a lot of kids breaking into the national, like U.S. national team. And uh, into college, and 
into the league. So it, it was really before that it was sparse. It was there wasn't enough coaching, there wasn't enough talent, there wasn't enough interest uh, from the highest level athletes to sort of get into hockey. But it it changed. It changed, and uh, it was a really it was a privilege to be part of that group. Um, but at least at um, least you could say you were one of the first to do it, right? It's just yeah. like, oh, they, yeah, that's nice, but we want it first. Exactly. We will always have that banner up above everyone else's. <laughs> now, did you actually play on his line? Uh, I was a defenseman. Bobby was a winger. So uh, we did play together. Uh, we, you know, but from that combination, I think he played, if I, uh, you know, that they, they moved around a lot. I believe he played on the right side and I was a lefty, but I played with him. Um, yeah, I mean, that entire season really, we were the two seasons we played uh, hand in hand together. Um, he, like on the power play a lot. If we were on the power, he was always on the power play. I, sometimes I was on the power play. So that was definitely, um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely played with him. And in practice, we would go to war. And I, I, he was, I was a, like, sort of a lockdown defenseman and prided myself in not getting beat and making sure to clear the, uh, <clears throat> uh, what's it called? The crease. Jeez, it's been that long, boys. Um, <laughs> the, the crease was my, the crease was my area, and nobody was allowed in. And this was uh, back in the old rules, quote unquote, when you could tie somebody up and really molest them and get them out of the crease. Whereas now, you you cannot uh, you cannot have any real physical contact with somebody if they don't have the puck. Which I don't know how I would have, I don't know how I would have adjusted my game or if I had yeah. to adjust my game to those rules because it's incredibly different now for defensemen. Before, during when I came up, you could stick if there was a if there was a forward parked in the crease, you could stick your stick between his legs, put your hand on his chest, and move him out. And now that's an interference penalty or holding or whatever they yeah. decide to call it. So it was very different. So he and I would have a lot of crease battles and a lot of one-on-one battles as he was by far the, had the best hands and the best moves as far as uh, dangling people. So it would be about 50-50 in that. <laughs> but he really pushed me and, and everyone else's, but definitely on defense, able to keep up with him to not get caught looking at the puck and just get undressed by his... Uh, he had really, really long reach, so it does, but uh, it was very, very hard to take the puck away from him, so really... Now, how, how, how well did you know him from a personal standpoint? Because uh, we've uh, caught wind a few years ago about this uh, special documentary about uh, Bobby Ryan and uh, the life before Bobby Ryan and him moving to California and what his personality was like. What was... What, what was he like to you when you were on uh, the same team as him? He uh, he was a very humble kid, a uh, lot of humor. He was definitely like to have a good time stuff, but he's a very humble kid. He did come out. We didn't know. We knew that there was something up with his family and that there was a weird situation that was going on. Nobody was really, in fact, up until that documentary came out, no one was really clear or some maybe some people were but certainly you, you weren't totally clued in with the specifics until that documentary was released right? exactly exactly but he was always upbeat he was always a happy kid um and uh very nice genuinely a nice guy um which yeah he was he, he was very cool um definitely one of the like main personalities i guess in the locker room he was 
but he was nice. Like, uh, you know, you get all different types of personalities, especially when it's testosterone-filled teenagers that yeah. they run around together. But he was always very cool. That's good. Um, have you um, caught up um, with, with his NHL career? Have you been following his uh, career in the NHL since he started with the Ducks? Absolutely. We And when you have one of your teammates, your former teammates, that, that make it that far, it's definitely um, definitely something that you follow and um, keep a close eye on. He, I believe his first game against the Kings, when the Ducks played the Kings, and he was part of like the main part of the team right after the Ducks won their first cup, uh, he scored a hat trick and the Kings won 4-3. to three. And I'm a gigantic Kings fan. Not really a huge Ducks fan, except for Bobby when he was playing. So it was one of those perfect games where my boy got three goals, got the hat trick. If you look at the highlights on YouTube of that game, it's the it's probably still his signature moves. He he has a few really top level highlights, but he pulled a spinnerama off of the uh, I guess the right side, no the left side board. He's right, yeah. So on the right side boards, pulled a backhand spinnerama and absolutely undressed Jonathan Quick, um, and that was his first goal against the Kings, and that was that was amazing. Um, just always kept up with him. Was very sad when he was traded to Ottawa, um, not just because we were like, like we're losing kind of a, our home, one of our hometown boys, but um, wouldn't be able to see him as much on TV. And um, certainly felt bad that he would have to be living in such a cold climate after so long in Southern California. Yeah, definitely a bit of a culture shock in that sense. And and uh, he actually victimized Jonathan Quick. Um in his earlier years with Ottawa, he undressed Brady McNabb and pulled up this ridiculous move. I was there actually in the building to watch that live. And there was also that uh, move he made against Nashville in the playoffs where um, just exceptional the way he was able to uh, hone in uh, his skills and be able to undress opponents like that. But over the past couple of years, he hasn't even hit 20 goals. He hasn't hit 40 points and his hands have taken a massive beating, and of course, there's that terrible contract that uh, a lot of owners <laughs> probably don't like. Do you think he yeah. can kind of regain his form? Maybe not in Anaheim, but at least score like 20 to 25 goals and over 50 points because he showed in the playoffs with Ottawa a couple of years ago that he still got it. Yeah, I I believe that he still has a few great seasons in him, if not more. He. I, I suspect, not being so close to the situation anymore, that it's, uh, you know, things change with teams, the dynamic amongst teams. How do the coaches like you? How does the upper management like you? And then also with injuries, obviously. I know he had a pretty bad uh, leg injury a few seasons ago that will definitely sideline you. And if you lose a step, even even a half-second step in, in the league, it's gonna make a. It's going to make an impact, and I suspect he might have had to change his game up a little bit. Maybe doesn't have. You know, he wasn't ever the most blazing fast skater, so that also might have something to do with it. I, I think if he's in the right situation with the right coach, I think he can he can do just as well, if not better, than he than he had. What I, I think with the Ducks, it was those were his best seasons, but. Um, We'll see. I mean, hopefully the right situation is there for him, and we'll see how he does this season. But I think, I mean, he definitely has another few good years, if not more, in the league, in my opinion. Well, uh, but knowing yeah. he and I are the same age and knowing how my body is breaking down every day, 
uh, the, the, the difference between 21 and 31 is right. gigantic. So um, hopefully he can take care of himself. But I, I believe in him. I definitely believe it in does, him. Before, before oh. I get back to you, Brett, just wanted to point this out there that in his final OHL season, he had 24 power play goals. Right. Yeah. So imagine how almost having a thirty goal season on the power play alone. That's insane. Anyways, Brett, uh, we we've kind of yeah, no, left no, you out fine. for about ten minutes. I'll let you go. <laughs> it's okay. Um, no, I was about to say that. Like he, so far, it seems like he's doing okay right now because he has he has two points in four games right now. And um, I mean, the Senators are playing as we speak. So let's see if he uh, if he gets on the scoreboard at any point right now. Oh, yeah. um, it would be nice if he scored during our conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it does. It does. But you, you guys were both talking about how like he's supremely talented and and clearly like he was drafted second overall and all that stuff. But it just yeah, seems, right behind Crosby. Yeah, um, but it just seems like he's so like expect like during the Ducks he was like amazing and it does seem like he got like injured a lot towards like when he got onto Ottawa. So. That's a little bit more unfortunate, but let's uh, let's not make this into a Bobby Ryan um, <laughs> podcast. Um, so let, let's go back to the script here. Um, sure. Uh, but no, no, that was great though. Um, uh, so who like because you're you're a big, you are a big fan of the '90s hockey, or you told me that off air. Um, so we geared some of these questions towards '90s hockey. So who, in your opinion, was the best goalie of the '90s? I mean, it seems like it seems like there were so many goaltenders, uh, particularly Dominic Hasek, Patrick Waugh, and uh, Martin Brodeur. But who would you say? Like, it's it's still a debate today, even even though all their all of them are retired now. Yeah, you know, and Brodeur was the the last one to go. He yeah. stuck around until the what was it 2012 when the yeah, Kings something like that. beat the Devils, and you could see, especially in that uh, last finals that Brodeur was in that the style is so incredibly different from where like he he stacks his pads two pad stacks you, you didn't see that from anyone except for Brodeur at the very end um I would say based off longevity based off of success I would you know how often he was in the playoffs making deep runs with the Devils I think you have to give it to Brodeur however you know just if you're speaking from a statistical point Patrick Waugh definitely makes a case for himself and the body of work that he put together. Um, he was also such a hothead that I, I really loved. Like, you never knew uh, if he would two-hand slash somebody right over right, right over the back if he was angry. Or, um, he, he always kind of was a wild card in, in the net uh, for Colorado all of those years. And I mean, I didn't really follow when he was in Quebec, but, um, you know, I, I think that I would love to see a cage match between Brodeur and and Wah, just because I think they're they're neck and neck, just statistically, yep. the style that they played in. But something must be said. I guess this isn't a very clear answer. I'll pick Brodeur. I'll pick <laughs> Brodeur based off his yep. body of work. However, I love Dominic Hoshik. Yep. And those few seasons when he was in uh, Buffalo and then was with Detroit, his style was so wild and so amazing. You not emulate it. You cannot teach it. It is something that he developed completely yep. on his own. And no, there's, I mean, maybe you guys follow the league pretty closely still. I haven't seen anybody that comes close to the wild, wild nature that he would play the game. Um, some of the saves that, some of the great saves that goalies make that it's the, you know, it's their highlight for the year, diving across, 
uh, with no stick and saving yeah. something with their blocker or you know did those wild snowman moves. He would do that multiple times a game. Yeah, and it was and it was baffling to watch him. How could he possibly save that? But he seemed to be able to pull it out every time. Yeah. So I think my heart is with Hoshik, but my mind is with Brodor. <laughs> yeah, I think there is something to be said, especially since like you know Wa and uh, Brodor were back behind pretty good teams. Um, whereas, like, ha- like the Sabres, Hashik was pretty much their only good player. So I, whenever these debates come up, I'm always, like, I, I sort of lean towards Hashik. Like, sure, Hashik doesn't have as many, um, as many, like, cups. yeah, Cups or Vezinas uh, as, as the other two, but I think just in terms of the team around him, I, like, he kind of, like, put the Sabres on the map, whereas, like, if you took Waugh out of the Avalanche, or if you took, I mean, I guess you could make a case if you took the Brodeur out of the Devils, like, I'm not sure if, um, like, I feel like those teams could have still made the playoffs if you put in, like, an average goaltender. Sure. Um, but whereas Hashik, I feel like, you know, they would be, like, a, a bottom-tier team if, uh, if you took Hashik out of Buffalo. But of course, he I went agree. to Detroit afterwards, so it's a it's a little different to be saying like, well, he was on a bad team, but um, but just <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. in Buffalo. I mean, who was yeah. the best player in Buffalo? Matthew Barnaby. Yeah, I'm something even, like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So so I always found that aspect of things um, like not just his play style, but just like just the fact that like he was on like a far worse team than both the Devils and the Avalanche. It kind of makes it into like his own advantage um, in term when you have these kind of debates. Um, but yeah, and also you were saying that I don't think they're like I feel like goaltenders nowadays they're more like it's more technical. Um, so it's not like like it's like almost bad if you are out of place and you have to make those those crazy saves out of nowhere. So, so I feel like we see those that kind of style that Hashik had. Um, it's rare to see that, uh, just yeah, because it's gone, basically. yeah, it, yeah, it's gone. So, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's a great thing or a bad thing because it's not like everyone um, was as athletic as Hashik was. So, I think, um, I think in terms of that aspect of things, I don't think we'll ever see. Um, uh, that kind of play style from a goaltender again? Probably not. I think Jonathan Quick comes close in yeah. that he'll find himself so out of position sometimes yeah. that he has to get back across and dive and do something crazy. Um, but yeah, I think Darren Pang had the best quote on Hoshik is that his kid was starting to play. He wanted to play goalie. And, they, and Panger was a goalie as well. But right. he told, you can't be a goalie because there's because you want to play like Hoshik. And I don't know how to teach you that. Nobody knows how to teach you that. It's not possible. Right. You know, go skate up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but it was a pleasure. It was just an absolute pleasure. You always knew, uh, especially when the playoff time would come around. It's like, man, Hoshik's going to put on a show for right. everyone. Uh, yeah, it, it seemed like back in the heydays, uh, like Tim Thomas is the only one I can really think of who could, who actually, like, would always make these incredible saves. And you're like, how did he do that? And I, th- I feel yeah. like that's a similar way to Hashik. Obviously, Hashik is better, but I, I feel like Tim Thomas could be a comparable, I guess. Um, 
Not yeah, biased like, at all. Like for for me, like when when I found out that Hashik was coming to Ottawa, I was so stoked, and I still have a Sens jersey with Hashik on the back, and I and I will wear That's that right. to Sens games usually when I go to Sens games now. But like just taking a look at some of the stats they had, and this is the thing that people I forget about Hashik. He, Hashik. he for didn't Ottawa. start until his late twenties in the NHL. He I, spent I, he was drafted. He spent time in Europe, and then he came to the NHL in the late 80s, early 90s, and didn't really make a name for himself until he went to Buffalo in his second year. And you look at his playoff stats, his career GAA is 2.02, his save percentage is 925, and during the two years where Buffalo made the conference finals, his save percentage in those runs were hovering around 940. Like That's insane. this, This guy was single-handedly giving his team a chance to win every single night. He had six shutouts in one month, if I recall correctly, and, and 13 that year. And yeah. and even when he had a below 500 season, his save percentage was at 920. So it, it was, you're right, it was the way that he did it. And I, I'd say Hashik is probably the better of the three because A, he did more with less, but B, he was probably my favorite goaltender. And, and my my style was kind of like, um, not as unorthodox as Hashik, but unorthodox enough where I saw Hashik play and I'm, I'm just like, you know what, if he can do it, I can do it too. And um, exactly. there, there, was, there was a time where I That's tried right. out for my high school hockey team and I was actually the last round of cuts and I played 10 minutes of an exhibition game. And I had played like House League C goalie for most of my life, so I didn't really know what playing in a competitive environment was was light but uh-huh. like i was i was still able to like hang around with those kind of guys and actually hold my own for for as long as i did so it, it dominic hashtag was kind of my inspiration as a goaltender because i kind of gravitated towards yeah. his style a little bit so that's for 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 personal reasons hashtag is my preference but when you look at so the body of work that Broder had, like playing in 70-plus games, which you don't see any goalie do nowadays, yeah, uh, you'll never see a goalie do that in today's NHL. So Broder numbers-wise wins, but um, from my heart, I think Hasek is probably the yes. best of the 90s, just simply because of how he did it and the fact that he started later than Broder and Waugh did. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't remember. I came across someone at some point, who was either coaching with Ottawa or, or was around their practices. I don't remember who it was, but I do remember that they said he was the most competitive person during practices, that if a goal, you know, if a puck got by him in practice, he was legitimately pissed off and would hate the person that scored on him. I, I, heard, I heard Curtis Joseph was kind of the same way. He hate getting scored on in practice. And that might speak to why he was able to, in this completely unorthodox way, be able to keep up, you know, he's so out of position. He's so, like, he's doing insane things, but it's that competitive drive that sort of filled that gap. Of maybe the technique is not correct, but he does not. Like, he, he will hate it so much. <laughs> he will hate it so much if that puck gets past him that he just made it happen. So, yeah, really, really love that. That You could see he was something special. Uh, yeah, I kind of had forgotten that he played for Ottawa for a season, so that was... yeah. Yeah, one really good season. Then he got hurt in the Olympics and never played another game. Well, no, it says here that he went to Detroit for two seasons here. 
He, he did, but he got hurt mid-season, and then Emery had to come in and take over, and the hope oh, was he was going to be right. back in time for the playoffs. No, no, but I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying Hasek went back to Detroit. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. So for one glorious season, or for one half a, gl- yeah. a glorious season, he was in Ottawa. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, so I guess speaking of Detroit, um, <laughs> what about franchises? Were you like... I mean, it seems like there's, like, you know, I guess in terms of dynasties, there, I mean, I know you were talking about, um, like, L.A., you're a big L.A. fan, um, or a Kings fan, Um, so that makes sense that that was your favorite team, because you grew up in California and all that, Uh, but, like, in terms of dynasty franchises, would you say, like, the Avs, the Red Wings, or Devils, would... Where did you lie when it came down to it? You know, the that era, like the middle '90s, late '90s era, mm. it's so hard to deny. You can't deny the power of Detroit, the, the Russian Five line that they had, um, and Scotty Bowman's mastery. And um, you know, I, I definitely was following them very closely when the Kings when the Kings were never in the playoffs during those times anyway. Right. So yeah, I had to sure. pick a, a new allegiance when the when the playoffs would come around. Uh, so it would probably be the Red Wings as far as not necessarily being a fan of the team or of the club or that they're doing well, but because my family is from the Soviet Union originally, oh, wow. uh, seeing the five the five Russians out there, like we always sort of had a, a connection with them. Um, so, you know, another sort of, I don't know if you would, count them as a dynasty because i believe they only won two cups but the avalanche was definitely when it came to playoff time uh was the team that i would pull for the most especially okay. when those wars would go like when it was detroit colorado in those yeah. epic epic wars and anyone that's not familiar with those series needs to go and watch uh on youtube the fights that happened the giant hits that were going down oh, oh yeah the fight night at the joe i mean that yeah. was crazy unbelievable osgood versus uh osgood first i think it was osgood right versus Watt at sunrise yeah. i think uh well i know vernon and Watt was the first and i Ver- think osgood and Watt was part two yeah for i think that that first one with vernon that was the one where and but yeah i mean all of them all of those series there was so much hate it was real, and the game was physical, a lot more physical than it is now. And somebody was going to die. Like, somebody was going to get hurt in those games. You just knew them. This series is going to have some casualties. Um, and if anyone, you know, Adam's foot, Adam Foot's nose was completely, basically ripped off of his face with one of those hits. I think it was, oh, I don't remember, but it's one of the dirtiest, craziest hits I've ever seen where Foot was coming in. Uh, someone was on the, was it, I don't remember who it was on the wings now. But Foot was coming in for a hit. They were up on the boards. At the last second, whoever it was got out of the way at the same time, grabbed the back of Foot's neck, and slammed it into the glass. Oh, and it was just, if you, if you can find that on online, it was... It was like a wrestling move, almost. It was. It was like into the turnbuckle at full speed and destroyed his face. And that was like that was the kind of hockey. And, you know, it, it was definitely exciting to watch. So, you know, Avalanche... Red Wings was definitely always following those teams when it came to playoff time back then. Um, definitely, yeah. Uh, wasn't a fan, but appreciated what was going on. So it goes without saying that was probably the rivalry of the '90s, in your opinion, right? Uh, as far as uh, as far as what? 
as far as everything, like it, even in the regular season, like it felt like honestly when it came to oh, the rivalry, uh, yeah, when it came wrong. to like Ottawa versus Toronto, like even if it was a regular season game, you'd be super bummed if your team lost, but you'd be over the moon excited if they won. Exactly. I thought you said robbery, and I thought, oh. no, 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 robbery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for the West Coast, or I guess you know the for for this side of the country. Um, yeah, that was that was the one because you knew when when it was when you could see that they're lining up in the brackets, or well, when you could see it was possible that they would they would be each other. It was uh, I guess they didn't have brackets back then. Um, no. They reseeded after every round, which was amazing, and I can't believe they took that away. I am really, I'm still sort of not angry, but why would they do that? Because when the Kings won their first cup uh, in 2012, they came in as the eighth seed. And right. they had they were reseeded and reseeded every time had to play the top um, the top team that was left and it really meant something it really meant something to when you were a lower seed and could make it all the way to the yeah. finals or the, or the conference finals or even the Stanley Cup finals from a low seed it meant that you really had to work to get there now I'm not a huge fan of the the solid brackets that they make now um, but I understand why they did it but yeah I think it. I think it was partially because of the, like, they wanted to increase the likelihood of having a rivalry so that they made it more divisional-based, but still, like, you yeah. get, you get like, two of the best, like, this year, like, three of the best teams in the league are in the Atlantic Division, and so that means that, like, two of them are, like, one of them is going to be out in the first round just yeah. by how it's going to work, so... Um, yeah, we're not a big fan of it either, but like it, it uh, like I understand trying to make rivalries happen, but that's not really a way to do it. I would I would imagine, um, especially because of because you always hear about like how big of a deal the Red Wings and the Avalanche rivalry was back in the day, but I don't think it's gonna happen that easily every time now. Right. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I. Um... I, I think scheduling-wise, too, where they could forecast or at least try to forecast um, for the buildings they're playing in right. and things like that it makes it easier. But, um, yeah, it was definitely a lot harder. It was, it was the hardest tournament to win was the right. Stanley Cup playoffs because of that. Um, I would say it's, it was even, it's even harder than, let's say, like NCAA tournament time. Right. Um, just because the, the, uh, the amount of physical sort of sacrifice you have to give and that hasn't changed, but um, at least the seating, seating wise, it's uh, it's definitely different. So but actually, it is what it is. So that brings us to our next question. So, what, which team did you absolutely despise back then, and do you still hate <laughs> them now? Um, because of what happened in 1993 with the Marty McSorley curve uh, penalty and the Kings ending up losing to the Montreal Canadiens uh, in that finals, I despised. Montreal for a very long time. So you'll and fit right into Boston. The I hate Montreal podcast now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll fit right into our podcast exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm in Boston and I despise Montreal. I, you know, since then things, you know, I it was up until 2012 that I still just really had a deep disgust for Montreal and what happened and the coach calling out McSorley's curve. Yeah, that was um, a crazy incident too. Yeah. Um, and it was just, I mean, I still, I remember where I was. I remember that moment. I was young. I, I couldn't have, I was six, I guess. So I still remember 
them taking out the ruler and measuring the stick right. and my parents freaking out and that double minor or whatever they would give for that some crazy thing and Montreal ended up scoring two or three goals if I remember correctly but it was it just completely turned the tide of that series and because of that hated Montreal absolutely hated Montreal as the as the rivalry between the Ducks and the Kings really heated up it kind of it switched to despising the Ducks in that um for, like they, there were a few seasons there where they were much better than the Kings right. and even getting their first you know the first cup coming to California by way of Anaheim instead of Los Angeles was a huge thorn in all of the Kings fan sides um, thankfully the Kings have doubled the uh, the, the amount of Cubs that the, the Ducks have won so uh, we have that to hold on to but and it was a divided household in my own house and that my mom uh, was a huge Ducks fan and even when Bobby was playing on the Ducks, it's like I would root for Bobby and root for the Ducks to lose every time. <laughs> it's like Bobby will score a hat trick and everyone else, but the Ducks will lose. That, that's what I hope for every, every Ducks game. <laughs> so, so, like, do you still root against the Ducks? Uh, I do. I, I just don't. I don't like the Ducks. The Orange County-based fan base that they have there <laughs> is, um, oh, how do I put it nicely? They don't know anything about hockey. <laughs> and I feel like they yeah, they, they root for the Ducks because they I mean because it's available. But I was at I was at a preseason game uh, two seasons ago. It was the one of the final preseason games where they kind of roll out the the main players for at least half the game. You right. see they're a lot more involved, and it was incredibly it was an incredibly violent game. And there were ejections for like one of the. One of the Ducks players who didn't make the roster, I don't even, I don't remember his name now, but he just slew-footed, or not slew-footed, but I guess, what do they call that? When you when you go knee-to-knee on purpose as, as someone's uh, skating by. I guess knee-on-knee collision, I yeah, guess. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like, but purposefully, you know, like to, with intent to injure. Right, right. And he got a standing ovation from the Anaheim fans when he, when he was being <laughs> escorted to the, to the tunnel, you know, like, and I'm yeah. thinking, how in the world? Can you can you cheer for that? And it, it sort of spoke to like these people either don't understand the game or, um, well, yeah, just don't understand what a dangerous because any player or anyone right. who knows what that feels like and what that could potentially do to your career, um, right. you know, you don't like to see that. And I, there was a standing ovation from the Ducks. I thought, what, where am kind I? Of, right now? I feel- it kind of reminds me of like that spirit of what Slapshot was about the the movie. Um, where like it was just more about like violence um, than the yeah. actual skill. Um, so, actually, this this brings up a good question because you did. Um, so that we're going a slightly off script here. Um, but uh, so, like the, you you did mention the Kings, you know, um, and their history because I do re- remember that story about like Marty McSorley. Uh, checking his stick all the time, but um, but then went because but I remember this back when the Kings won their first cup. So how did you feel when the Kings won their first cup and then their second cup in 2012? Yeah, so um, the 2012 season was absolutely magical. Uh, what was going on oh, with myself personally and my family at the time? Um, the Kings winning that cup was. Um, was absolutely magical. My, um, I mean, the, it, the story ends up happy, so uh, don't worry about it. My, mo- my mother was diagnosed with cancer the year before, 
and she had a very long and, and hard battle with it. And it was definitely a roller coaster emotionally and, um, you know, everything that kind of goes along with, with those circumstances, it was very hard on, on the family, but we were able to sort of, I mean, we were, we were following the Kings and sort of the prognosis or yeah, I guess prognosis of, of my mom's health was continuing to get better and better as the Kings went deeper and deeper in the playoffs. And we, you know, something to hang on, something to distract you a little bit from the, you know, the harsh realities of, of real life. Um, you know, every, every other day or so we could come together and share in their uh, success. And we were huge, like my, my family, my, my parents and I, huge Kings fans. And, our house is very, it gets wild and crazy, and there's a lot of yelling at the TV, dancing when goals are scored, being absolutely pissed off. Like, and it only happens in the playoffs. We're, we're generally, we would be pretty, we would be pretty calm and normal. But come playoff time, it was a whole other thing, <laughs> very similar to what the teams actually go through. It's like right. this is a new game now. Um, so as they went through and eventually won, it it. I, I, in some small way, honestly, I feel like it, it, it helped my mom heal uh, watching them succeed because yeah. we had wanted it for so long. I mean, coupless and basically very little success in the playoffs previous to that. Um, I think the second round was as deep as I ever saw them go and losing to Detroit over and over and over again. And the Detroit fans taking over Staples Center every time they'll come in. Like, there was just so much pain associated with Kings in the playoffs. But when they came through and and won that first one, it was absolutely magical. And it was rather easy. I mean, it's not, it's not easy, but it seemed like every game they would have it in the bag after the first period. And you sort of knew like, this is going to be another easy one. And I think they only lost two games that entire run, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe uh, I think they lost two to New Jersey and ended up winning a game six. If I, remember correctly but it was just it seemed like a cakewalk it seemed like it was too easy um yeah 2014 was definitely much more difficult and i was in europe at the time so i was only able to catch uh like there was an epic epic series with the blackhawks that went to game seven and i heard in my house was it was another chaotic day i remember Um, that that playoff run they they went and they had an absurd record in elimination games they actually came back from a three nothing hole against san jose and they won game seven in that series too yeah yeah and it was it sucked for me as i was in eastern europe and the time zone difference just didn't allow me to watch so i would have to wake up like every morning i would wake up and check the score like okay kings won or oh crap um and it was really tough that game seven I remember waking up in the morning and checking my phone or like the NHL app or whatever it was. And they had already slotted in the Kings versus New York in the finals. And it was like the absolute exhilaration. I was able to come back and see uh, them win again, but um, it was different the second time around that I had to follow it on the internet. wasn't watching games live. Um, so, it was, but it still was able to enjoy it. And they beat the ducks in game seven, I believe in the, second round that season 2014 so it was Pro- like probably because they faced the hawks in the conference finals right so it was the ducks before that and um that was very satisfying for the kings to be able to take out yeah. the ducks in the playoffs in such a heartbreaking way for the ducks fans um 
was definitely satisfying. They, they were magical runs. Both, both of those runs. It's a little different the second time around when you're waiting so long for that first cup, which I'm sure Ottawa fans can um, can relate to that. Um, <laughs> and that it's like, man, it has to happen this year. This is the year right. that it never does. So when it finally happened, it was really exhilarating. Yeah, yeah I I'll, mean, take a, I'll take a playoff appearance uh, at this point. But uh, my my hatred, without a doubt, back then was the Leafs. 100% the Leafs. I, I still dislike them, but not as much because back then they had Tucker, they had Ty Domi, they had Travis Green doing all their antics, and it pissed me the heck off because those games were absolutely nasty. You know, they would go after our players and our players, you know, I'd have to push back and, you know, there were fights and all that. It was, it was nasty. I, I wouldn't say it had the same kind of hatred as Detroit, Colorado. I think that was a new level of nasty, but I, I def, I, it, they didn't like each other at all. And it, especially in the playoffs, every single time Ottawa had a good team, and the Leafs would have a good Curtis Joseph or a good Ed Belfour, and, and this is more in the 2000s, but starting the late uh, late 1990s, where it didn't matter how good Ottawa was. If they met Toronto in the playoffs, Toronto would win, and it would be like round one, round two. Ottawa had the team to probably go deep, maybe at least make the conference finals. They had Chara on the blue line. They yeah. had Alfie. They had Hosta. Didn't matter. The Leafs would just get by on like, a, like in 2004 with the Leafs <laughs> breakdown. I guess you could call it in the first period. Like one of the worst games he could have played. His last game as a senator, and yeah. and I, I will say that losing to the Ducks in 2007 really hurt. And I was crying in my room after one of the games because I knew that making the Stanley Cup Finals is not going to happen every single year. And since then, I was right. It's it, it hasn't happened. It's been 10 years, and they haven't made it back to the Finals. They've come close a few times, but they haven't made it back to the Finals. So um, I would still call it Toronto. I don't hate them as much now because, you know, they're, they're enjoyable to watch. They don't have as much guys that can piss you off. They don't have too many Darcy Tuckers or Ty Domies on that team. So right. I can't hate them as much. But... That being said, I won't cheer for the Leafs. I'll watch the Leafs because they're entertaining, but I won't cheer for the Leafs. <laughs> and you could always count on them to just fail epically at some point yeah. and screw everything up. I, I will say, <laughs> though, still do, yeah. I will say, though lose, losing to Pittsburgh recently, uh, the Penguins are knocking on, on the door of the Leafs and saying, hey, here's a team you want to hate more than the Leafs. Yeah. So um, Pittsburgh's getting up there for me because um, they're, they're growing a knack for beating up the Sens in the playoffs, but... Um, I it, it's still Toronto for me. Yeah, if we, I, I guess I can tie both of what you guys were saying together. It's the I, I think it's for me. It's still the Montreal Canadiens um, in terms of despising players. And I just remember during that 2011 run, um, you know, like I remember the Bruins like Game Seven where I was because I was in college at the point at that point. Um, I just remember, like, watching Game 7 just being so nervous because, like, I knew the Canadians had always had our number, um, and, like, it was Game 7, so I was like, oh, shit, like, this, this like, the Canadians are just gonna break our hearts again and again, and they didn't, so luckily, you know, in 2011, uh, the Bruins went all the way, but it was, it was one of those things where I was like, oh, God, like, the Canadians are gonna are going to kill us. Um, 
Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, all right, let's go to a next question here. Um, so I, I guess you alluded to it now, but uh, do you still watch hockey like you, like you used to, or like what do you think is the biggest difference? Um, you know, I, I watch as often as I can. Certainly my schedule is very different. Yeah. I also don't – I haven't had a television um, in my house for – apartment for the last three years at this point oh Uh, wow you must have missed a lot like uh i don't know the carlson drama in ottawa (laughs) yeah i've missed i've missed everything that's kind of why i brought up 90s hockey sort of as an era that i could be deeply knowledgeable about (laughs) it's interesting to us because like we both me and brett we were both born in the early 90s do we remember 90s hockey probably not because our brains weren't big enough to comprehend like late 90s yeah Yeah, um, you know, I, I watch as often as I can. Generally, I mean, up until I, my move to Boston, it was Kings games and following the Kings, or if the Ducks are playing, I, you know, I watch a little bit. Um, the difference in the game, I mean, it's it's night and day in that you can't hang on to people anymore, yeah. and it it moves so much faster. I mean, it was always a fast game, but especially in the playoffs, things would slow down so much, and New Jersey was really good at that uh, in the 90s with just making sure that nobody moves without having some like somebody right up their butt, making sure that they can't make clean plays to the puck, making sure that they're getting slowed down on everything. And it definitely made it less enjoyable from a fan standpoint, and that now you have this wide-open game, things are moving fast. Even in the playoffs, things can turn on a dime. Where sometimes you would, walk, you would be watching a playoff game you know, 20 years ago, and if a team went up by one, you knew that was basically it. Because they would be locking everyone down, handcuffing them, not letting them move, and you could sort of just play this freeze out, not freeze out, but sort of like lockdown game where you can't do it these days. And so it's a lot more exciting for me in that standpoint that you never know, like a goal can a goal can spring up out of nowhere. Um, the opportunity to score is a lot greater. However, as a defenseman, it breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart because my entire game, like I, if I would have continued playing and had to make that switch in 2005, I guess, was when the new rules were implemented, where you cannot do most of the defensive tactics that I used to be successful. You were not allowed anymore, mainly clearing people out of the crease, molesting people when they're off the puck, making sure that they don't have clean lines to the puck, um, or you know, being open for passes like... I don't know how I would have adjusted or if, if I would have even been able to. Um, so it's very interesting to watch in that you can't touch anyone in front of the net anymore. So guys can come right in, park right in, the, right in front of the goalie, and you have to live with it. And I wouldn't. I don't know if I would have been able to. Like I would probably just have been racking up interference penalties. Um, yeah. So, you know, so from a fan standpoint, I love it. I love the rule changes. It's much more wide open. It's much faster even than it was before, but sort of from the player, I, I came up in that last sort of old school, make them feel, you know, let them know you're there to steal a line from Slapshot. And coaches would yeah. say, like, if somebody skates by, you have to let them know. You have to let them know that you're there and you're going to make their life hell. You can't really do that so much anymore. So, But it, it's definitely interesting. I think the league has certainly had a lot more success since the rule changes, so you can't hate it. Can't hate it. Yeah, so you kind of already answered one of the questions then, because it was going to be, did you see yourself playing in the NHL one day? So it's, it seems like you 
you you wouldn't with these new rules, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's so it's so hard to get in, man. Like, it of of that group that I was mentioning earlier. I you know I think all of those guys that I mentioned had a shot, and it was really. I mean, it's it's so difficult even to make it as high as the AHL or even the ECHL. Um, it you have to be lucky. Your body has to keep up with you. You have to be on the right team with the right players surrounding you with the coach that's right for you because people get lost people get you know people with incredible talent and incredible skill get in the wrong situation and that ends their their nhl possibilities mm-hmm. um so it's i mean it was definitely my dream my dream was really to play college hockey and um it's really fun to be in boston now because i was a gigantic boston college fan yeah um, and I am looking forward to attending their games this season as um, it was always my dream to play for them. So now that I could root them on, at least. Um, I mean, I was definitely on a track. I was. Uh, I made the, the select festival that they do um, in the summers, which sort of they keep an eye on the top players as far as USA Hockey is concerned, uh, like for the national team development and all of that. And so I was, I was kind of in that. Um, certainly wasn't the best. Maybe it was probably down lower towards the bottom of, of the caliber, like of, of skilled players, the ones that made that group. I think it was about a hundred and twenty every summer that would go. So like, I was right there. It was where I could make that group, but I definitely I was on the third defensive line <laughs> in, yeah. in, in those groups. And um, you're, you're like a like Team Canada's Olympic roster. PK Subban's just there spectating. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, although man, I love PK, I absolutely love PK. I love his the way he plays, the locomotive style. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's it's just so hard to break in. Um, yeah. I, you know, I I, I I I suffered from incredible burnout in that. Um, I had some really tough, like two tough seasons uh, leading up to the year that I decided to um, take a break. And um, I, it, it would never stop for me. So the season would begin, you know, the teams would be selected in August generally, and we would be, we were, we were playing about two games, well, at least one game a week, but certainly two games um, every weekend practicing. I was on the ice every day. Every day I was on the ice. If it wasn't a practice, it was a skills lesson, or it was some other clinic, or whatever it was, I did not. You know, I didn't have days off and it's sort of life circumstances and everything else surrounding it. Like I told, I completely burned out and sort of pivoted in my life, started focusing on other things. I, I, like I was on, I was, I think if I would have kept up with it, I would have probably made a college team somewhere, whether it was D3 or D1. But, um, I, you know, looking back with the perspective I have now, I probably, my size wasn't there. I certainly wasn't fast enough. Um, I had a shot. I could play very physically and I could lock people down. But I'm five seven, and I was five seven when I was thirteen, and I'm still five seven. Yeah. And so when you look, you know, as a defenseman, it's not the ideal. Right. You aren't. You aren't Chara. Yeah. It's exactly. Yeah, so. I'm. I'm around five seven, five eight myself okay. now, and and like I was, like I was, I was a pretty big goalie. I couldn't really skate at all. I couldn't shoot well at all. So I just found out. Oh, I can stop a puck well. I guess I'll stick to this. And, th- and that's pretty much how I became a goalie because I was god awful at skating and shooting. So um, it, it it's it's definitely not for everyone, and the grind's not for everyone. And and 
I guess they probably put that schedule upon you just like, hey, this is what the NHL life is going to be. If it's not for you, then 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 maybe try your luck in, in a different avenue. And and I I, I guess you. I guess it just goes to show you that, you know, making the NHL is not as easy as it looks. In fact, it might be even harder than you think it is. Oh, it's yeah. It's uh, and some people think that they can uh, concentrate for a small amount of time and make it. And you hear that from people um, all the time. People who don't really understand the kind of sacrifice, the kind of toll it takes on your body mentally, where you have to be at to get up for every game, be able to perform. So it's very interesting when, the comments about I wasn't aware of Jalen Ramsey's comments until Brett sort of uh, uh, brought it up, and uh, it, it, it's rather hilarious. It's rather hilarious when people make claims like that. I understand why he's why he said what he said. And, you know, anytime you can get some attention on yourself, that's yeah. you know that it'll make you a little bit more money. Um, but uh, it's it's incredibly difficult. For a top level, like for a world class athlete, and that's actually what I'm excited for is is you're starting to see more world class athletes getting into hockey, and it's tough. I mean, in Canada, the best players play hockey, or the the best athletes play hockey generally. Um, in the United States, it's not so. Right. In the United States, you get it's 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 kind of whoever gets put you know goes down that path whether it's your parents but it's more like football or basketball or baseball generally yeah Yeah. the fastest the strongest um they go towards football first they go towards basketball and it's not as i mean i think i I think it's changing yeah i I feel like there's more of a boon towards american born players it seems like there's so many american players nowadays um that are young in the nhl so yeah, USA Hockey has done a very good job of restructuring the way that they develop right. their younger talent. They've sort of they've had time to see what Hockey Canada does right. and imitate it as much as as they can. And they really follow now. Uh, USA follows or USA Hockey follows kids by the time they're like they're about thirteen. Right. They're already on the radar of the scouts. They're already being Room. taken to the select festivals and, and sort of being developed. The the, the what. In my opinion, the establishment of the U.S. Uh, development, like the national team development program, where they take the six, or I guess seventeen and eighteen year olds, yeah. and they play AHL teams, they play college teams, they play in the um, the international tournaments. They all live together uh, in Michigan. A few of my contemporaries went. Um, Andreas Lasopoulos went to the national team. Uh, Dave Inman played for the the U.S. TD. DTP, whatever the development team program. Yep. So because of that, they take this crop of 40 kids, 50 kids, and they keep them together from the time they're 16, 17. So you really, they have that cohesion as a unit and they're able to be competitive internationally. Um, to bring and it, as that continues, uh-huh, go ahead. Sorry, to bring it full circle, because uh, you, you mentioned the Turcote family. Um, yeah. the, uh, I think Jeff Turcote's nephew Alex Turcote is in the USDP right now. Beautiful. I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, Jeff <laughs> Turcotte, the Turcotte family in general, is hockey royalty. In, in my opinion, hockey royalty. And every U.S. player, and I mean, they have their, their skills camps, their clinics, yep. are, if, you, if anyone's listening that has a kid that's 
young that loves hockey that and they want to see them grow their skills grow and their potential grow you have to send them to the turcot stick handling schools or any yep. any sort of any sort of program that they put together it is the most top-notch instruction they really get it they really get it and i owe a lot to jeff i actually had the opportunity to, to coach with jeff uh for um uh, with the girls teams and his daughter was on the 16 and under team. Oh. I was helping out. I was assisting on the 14 and under team. There was a head coaching change towards the end of the season. Jeff came on and was and took over as head coach. So to be an assistant under him, to finally be able to see like behind the curtain of what was uh, what was going on, you know, from a coaching standpoint, from a mind like his his father, his brothers, his cousins, they're all so deep in it. Um, so. You know, from as a player, as a younger player, being instructed by him, and then as a coach, seeing it from that point of view and how he operates, um, he probably he might be one of the biggest influences uh, on me as far as hockey. And also, Igor Nikolin, uh, have to mention him. He uh, he's probably the most successful. Him along with um, James Gasso and Sandy Gasso, the Gasso brothers in Southern California, they are, um, and Andy Cohen kind of managed the um the programs back then and i think still does in some in some way um really really uh owe a lot to those guys they are well the turcots the gassos and, and igor nicole and like they are the reason that southern california is producing high level players um so definitely have to give a shout out to them <laughs> yeah uh his name is alex turcote if you're interested uh yeah, but um yeah so we have, I think we touched up on all these different questions. I think I have like two more maybe, um, unless Steve has more you would like to ask, but, uh, cause you did. Br- we'll, we'll get to yours, Brett first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ask some of my own before we wrap up. Yeah, of course. Um, so, um, so which players did you, which player did you admire the most or mull, mull your game after, um, yeah, oh, that's a good. That's a great question. You know, uh, Rob Blake probably would be the biggest influence on me. He was the the standout defenseman in Los Angeles until he eventually. I don't know if he forced a trade or something happened. I it's kind of lost on me now. But Rob Blake with his shot, with his devastating hip checks that would send people flying every right. game. Um, he was an offensive defenseman. He loved to take the puck up he loved to get shots on net from the blue line he was he was everything that a defenseman sort of sort of you what you want to be in that he was absolutely locked down he would always be on the you know up against the team's the other team's best players and he would contribute offensively and you just knew like you don't want to take it down the the side that that blake is on if you take the board side he's going to put you through them if he gets the puck on a stick he's going to make a play if he gets his shot off from the blue line, something something big is going to happen. So definitely tried to model as much as I could myself after after him. Uh, Matthias Nordstrom was another uh, Kings defenseman that sort of came a little bit after. Like I think they actually played together for a few seasons before Blake left. But yeah. Matthias was a lot less of an offensive contributor, but same thing. Not a big guy, maybe six foot at the most, if I remember correctly, six six foot six one, but physical and really nasty uh it would not let you come out of the corner clean would not let you park in front of the uh 
in front of the net and just was a nightmare. And talking to some coaches who coached against him, um, they said, yeah, he he would just completely disrupt your game plan and as far as uh, what you're trying to do offensively because of, of like what a solid defenseman. So those two, Matthias Nordstrom and Rob Blake, certainly tried to be. And it, it, they just happened to be kings, and I could watch them every night, so that helped. <laughs> okay. Um, and then lastly, so for me, I mean, we kind of touched up on this beforehand, but um, so for me and Steve, you know, hockey's pretty big in our cities, uh, you know, uh, for Ottawa and Boston. Uh, not necessarily for you in L.A., although it's growing, I'll admit. Um, and you did mention earlier on that Gretzky basically did have a boon there um, in hockey, like in, in the terms of level of interest of hockey in California. Um, but so, like, do you, do you see there still being a level of, like, hockey interest now that, like, the Kings won the Cup? Uh like and and now that Gretzky is no longer, you know, there, um, right. do you see the California still being? I, I'm I, from what it sounds like, it seems like you're not. You haven't been in California in a while, but uh, do you know if like people are still interested in hockey even still? Definitely, they definitely are. the The clubs continue to grow. The teams, the number of teams. Uh, continues to grow the number of players that are interested. The high school hockey programs are finally sort of making it available to people because that when I was coming up, so like for my for the eighty seven birth year kids and certainly everyone before them, you had to there there just wasn't enough talent to have really competitive leagues. So you would have and th- this was the case uh, for myself is uh, what what year was it ninety nine. I guess 1999-2000 was sort of this first idea of a super team in Southern California uh, took shape. And that's where Igor Nikulin, Sandy Gasso, James Gasso, Andy Cohen, um, they brought together, and this was the team that Bobby was on also, they brought together the very, very best kids. And we were 12, 13-year-old kids playing Bantam AA. So we were playing against... 14, 15, 16 year old kids throughout, uh, like during the regular season, um, we would just play up. There was no, like, there was no team that there certainly wasn't a league that would be able to match us as far as like we were blowing teams out of the water. When we, when we played, we were undefeated against our like our caliber team. So other against other Pee Wee AAA teams, I believe we were like 35 and 0. But we were playing Bantams uh, throughout the regular season sort of to become more accustomed to the faster, bigger, stronger guys that we were facing in tournaments. But um, these days, there is so much talent and there's a lot more people playing uh, in Los Angeles that I don't know if we'll ever have a super team like that again. Right. And it actually, like, it, it's interesting because the success overall, like, there's more, there's more talent, there's more players, but it becomes, it sort of gets watered down a little bit as you don't have that pack of just that one team that we know, like, they're going to go to regionals, they're probably going to go to nationals. Now it's a, it's a much harder war even to get out of the state championships right. in California. Um, so it's interesting, but definitely, it's definitely growing. But, like, the joke... Certainly with Kings fans, 
is that the Kings games are sold out every night. And that's because every Kings fan in LA is in the building. (laughs) So like, I mean, but it's changed. It's changed a lot since the three cups over however many years came to, came to California, certainly exponentially greater interest people following it more people like if you didn't have some tie to hockey before all of that like you weren't really interested if you didn't really if you didn't play your parents weren't into it or whatever like you weren't going to be a hockey fan like you would be a laker fan or a dodger fan whatever you know just because of that but now i'm seeing i'm seeing people that (laughs) people that had no interest in hockey like friends of mine from high school that i continue that i continue to be friends with today in high school they couldn't care less about hockey (laughs) Right. And I was the only one that was kind of waving that flag. Now everyone's like, "Oh, it's a Kings game tonight, or it's a Ducks game tonight, or whatever." So it was all—it was definitely surprising for me um, in that the casual fans finally started showing up. It wasn't people that had some sort of tie to hockey that would also be following. It was just because it was good entertainment. So that has definitely grown uh, in Southern California, and really yeah. excited to kind of follow the Bruins this season and. You know, follow the energy of the city here um, in Boston as as the the season starts up here. Yeah, it, it gets exciting. Um, yeah, but I, I guess that's kind of why Bettman wanted to expand out west in terms of like because he wanted to get like the casual people interested, um, or the NHL expanded. I should say. I don't think Bettman actually put uh, put a team in LA, but. Um, you know, I think that I think throughout the, at least nowadays, it seems like California hockey is bit like very, a big compared to other cities, um, which is amazing to see. Uh, so Steve, do you have any, uh, questions for Aaron? Well, I do have a couple, but to, to weigh in on the hockey in its current stage, like you said, Southern California, the market's growing there, but. Yeah, in a few years, if all goes well, Seattle's going to be joining the NHL bandwagon. They've had That's a good awesome. junior hockey market for several years now. Uh, we all saw what Vegas did in their first year. Winnipeg's got a team again. The train driving the NHL, please come back to Quebec bandwagon, hasn't slowed down. It's been there for many years. Um, the Sorry. players are getting better. They're getting faster. They are getting stronger. We're seeing more star talents coming from from other leagues like Panarin. Uh, we look at guys like Nikolai Ehlers and Freddie Anderson coming from Denmark. They're probably going to inspire the next generation of Danish uh, star talents. And the NHL is going places like China to expand their brand, not just Sweden and Finland now. Um, yeah. If there's one thing that's going to slow the NHL down or maybe put a wind in their sail, it's the concussion lawsuit. I think that's going to be the biggest worry because – if there's one thing that is probably going to be a deal breaker, it's head injuries. So yeah, it'll be you know, interesting uh, to see how uh, the NHL uh, handles that. But, yeah, you and, know, just to all- touch on just, just to touch on the concussion thing, I'm glad you brought it up because it I, uh, it reminded me of it. Uh, concussions are a gigantic problem in hockey, absolutely gigantic. And, and in football, in football too, but yes, hockey. Yeah, I mean, well, football it's a little bit more because I guess certainly in the states, like football is is the number one deal you know and so the the attention is definitely on it but i i can't even begin to put a number on how many concussions i suffered in uh playing hockey it's um knowing now what a concussion is you know and back then okay i'm seeing stars or 
yeah, I got you know, I got hit in the head or, or whatever it was, but it does, you know, the gravity of it um, wasn't apparent or I, no, almost no one was as aware then as they are now of the potential for head injuries and what they do. Um, but I mean, I would say, I mean, I was knocked out on the, on the ice, knocked out cold twice that I remember. And you know, then that's, that's the same for a lot. And as, as I stopped growing, but other players continue to grow it, my head was at perfect elbow level for people to come, to come in when they put in a hit. So, I mean, for myself personally, it's just, you know, my size kind of limited how, uh, or, you know, contributed to being in the perfect position to take some of those headshots. But I, I worry about kids. I really, really do. Especially, I mean, for all kids, because that helmet does almost nothing as far as protecting your brain goes. I, yeah. I remember uh, one of, one of the guys that my brother played hockey with, I think he played in a different level. And I remember him getting multiple concussions in the same year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can, it's, it's borderline terrifying um, how exposed your head is out there. That plastic with the foam, it, it really doesn't do much. Uh, and, and I wasn't exposed to that because again, like how sleek C, no contacts, you don't have to worry about concussions as much. Um, and as a goalie, you don't really have to worry about the concussions unless you get a a puck in uh, to your helmet in the right place. So. Right. Um, but yeah, the, it, the risk is there. And like looking back, I do like these days I do um, a lot of grappling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, things like that. And um, sometimes, you know, concussions, I've, I've, I've caught a couple of concussions just because like wild errant elbows and things like that. You know, so they'll, you'll catch one every, every now and again. But knowing that feeling now and being able to relate to what I was feeling back then, I was getting I, I, probably once a month. I was I was getting a concussion. Um, so I mean, it, it's it's definitely it's definitely a risk, and it's something I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm at risk for CTE. I hope I'm not. Yeah, I was about <laughs> to ask. Do you still like? Do you have effects from concussions? Still, or yeah, I have I some. I, there's some. I think it's easier for me to become concussed in that you don't necessarily have to hit, get hit in the head to right. get a concussion. If you have a strong shot to the body and your yeah. neck whips, and you, that's the thing with suffering concussions, it increases your chances of suffering another one. Exactly, right. and so I get them pretty easily. Like if even, gosh, I'm trying to think of a specific. Like a few weeks ago, even I caught an elbow. It's just nobody's fault. It's just sort of in the position we were in, the guy was trying to escape. He moved his arm and cracked me in the head. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was gnarly. And like relating that feeling of like, okay, this is a concussion. I know what this feels like. I know now what this is. It, it was happening a lot. It was happening a lot. And especially kids that are, it, it's a fine line to walk. The reason that the group of players around me and even for myself, the reason we got so good is because we were playing up. We were playing against older kids that were faster, stronger, better and um as a consequence you're taking a lot more damage and i wonder like there it, it definitely has to be it has to be monitored by the powers that be and i you know some of the the physical rules like i, I really love that they're taking or they're trying to take headshots out of the game it's a disgusting disgusting thing when you see guys line up you know elbow to head or shoulder to head uh, the, the tom wilson hit um I, I don't know if you saw that but that that was 
about as close to a blind side as I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, Scott Stevens had a few back in his yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that that, that, that shocked the Korea. Boy, we all remember that one. Oh, yeah. you know, and that, when Korea came back and scored that very next shift. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was when, you know, that was, that was, might have been one of the only times when I was really pulling for the Ducks because he was out. He was out on the ice. And somehow they let him stay in the game. <laughs> like how, if that how, happens in today's NHL, no way he's back out there. Absolutely yeah. not. But like he was out there literally. They they gave him the salts or whatever they did. He was out there three minutes later. I still remember. It was, I think it was on the left-hand boards. Yeah, he – Yeah. It was, a, it was a quick change and it was like got a quick outlet pass coming down the left-hand side and ripped a slap shot. Scored. I don't know if it was the game-winning goal, but it was like one of the most heroic things that I've ever seen knowing – what he must have been feeling. And he even said he doesn't remember that day. He doesn't remember that game. He doesn't remember the hit. He can just watch it and sort of be like, okay, yeah, I was there. But to be able to pull that off under those circumstances, that's another thing I recommend for people listening to to look up is the hit that Scott Stevens put on Korea and the subsequent goal right after that that he scored. Uh, Really amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, Now we're talking about uh, big moments from like eras and – I, I want to know if there was a big moment in the 1990s for you. I'm thinking that postage stamp goal by Forsberg in the Olympics. There was Lemieux's goal in the 91 finals where he just undressed everybody in a Minnesota North Stars jersey. Uh, there was Messier in game six of the 94 conference finals where he said, we'll win tonight. And then he scores a hat trick in the third period. And then Stevie Y scored this OT goal against St. Louis, which didn't really break the Saint, uh, uh, which didn't really break the Stanley Cup curse for them at the time. They lost in the second round that year, but it kind of kickstarted the belief that okay, the cup is coming back soon. Yeah, you know, the most iconic, I would say, is, man, I'm glad you brought it up because I haven't thought about these things in a while. But um, probably that Eiserman goal, just amazing, and uh, didn't get to see it live, but because I was on the ice practicing actually. Um, but when we came off the ice. So everyone was like, "You have to see the, like you have to see the goal that Stevie Y just scored." Um, that was that was a really that rip that he had. I think it was like double OT if I remember correctly. Yeah, something like that. Um, just just amazing stuff. And in that moment, the the celebration, like sort of the way that it happened, the celebration that ensued, the camera angle that that they had on it, it was uh, that might. I think be- he got hurt during that celebration. He might. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. But uh, that was pretty iconic. As far as a moment, I mean, for whatever reason, uh, when Ray Bork got to lift the cup with the abs, when Sackick, when when they won, yeah. Sackick took the cup straight to Ray Bork. That was a big moment. I loved Ray Bork. Uh, he, he was in Boston for, you know, he was sort of all the way on the other side of the world as far as I was concerned for the most of the time. But when he kind of had that last run with the abs, um, and watching him lift the cup because he was he was it he as far as just lockdown defense I mean you wanted he wasn't such a great contributor on offense he didn't need to be he was he was that lockdown guy I mean he so. was pretty good on offense too but yeah was he I mean yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I don't remember his game that much he had, like, a, he had a pretty good shot yeah um, but yeah. no but like you're right he's also like you know he was a defenseman for a reason too so it wasn't right. yeah. 
Uh, but he has a kid. Doesn't his kid play somewhere? Yeah, he pl- his yeah. kid uh, played. Well, his kid used to be on BU, um, and then and now he's on like he's a like an AHL lifer kind of thing. Um, in uh, yeah, which is Hershey, also Chris Bork, yeah. The, uh, the even to be in the, to make it into the AHL, be able to play at that level, right. it's just it's such a commitment, it's such a sacrifice. Like probably more than honestly, probably more than any other sport. Like in my in my opinion, that you you can't lose, you can't ever lose a step, nope. and it's all about being fast, it's all about timing, and you have to hone it. No, I know it's it like even still, like just being an AHL player is is impressive. Well, especially you know if you still have NHL dreams, because you know the more you lose right. a step, and the others gain a step, they're just like, yeah. oh, it's time to call somebody up. Guess who we're not calling up, right? Right. Exactly. Well, I I believe he did play a couple games in Boston a couple years ago, but didn't actually pan out. But I don't know. Now that he's in Washington, uh, there's, there's a chance he could be called up at one point. But yeah, um, but yeah, he's 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 kind he's kind of stuck in the AHL at the moment. Uh, but yeah, no, that that Ray Bork moment of him raising the cup, it's it was kind of a special moment out here in Boston. But uh, so that <laughs> makes sense that our uh, it's cool that someone else from the other side can appreciate that as well. Taking yeah, a look at his stats, he played 18 games for the Bruins, got a goal and three assists, and uh, that's the last time he actually played in the NHL, and that was back in 2012-2013, a long right, yeah. shortened year. He's been in AHL ever since. Yep. Um, I think that's it. That's cool. Um, I think that's it for us, Steve, because we're we're almost um, we're almost at an hour 30 here. Uh, yeah, I've, so, I've, I've uh, well, actually, there. Do you mind if we have time for one more question here? Uh, yeah, I'm here for you guys, absolutely. Yeah, okay. we have six minutes left, so I, I okay, okay. until hour thirty. So yeah, okay. And then um, we'll close things out. If you had to pick out of these three players, who would you go back in time and watch play in their prime? So the prime of their careers. Out of these three choices, who would you rather go see? Brett Hall, Yarmer Yager, or Mario Lemieux? Oof. That's a that tough question. Tough man, that is tough. Um, you know, luckily, I kind of was able to watch a little bit while they were in their prime, because uh, that was the era. You know, those were the guys. Right, uh, and we but, weren't, which is why we're asking. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's really tough. They all, each one of those guys brings a different element to the game. Certainly, Hull with his shot, his sort of nose for putting the puck in the net, regardless. You know fighting for it in front. We all remember that uh, Detroit-Buffalo. Was it Detroit-Buffalo? When Hall scored from inside the crease? No, yeah. it was Dallas-Buffalo. Dallas-Buffalo, Dallas, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, it was Dallas-Buffalo, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hall, um, Hall was on the stars when that happened, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, sort of, man, that's tough. I would say uh, it has to be Lemieux. It has to be Lemieux, sort of the finesse that he played with, but also the grit and what he was able to pull out of his ass in times as far as moves and just understanding where he's at. Um, he, he was probably the one that I looked up to the most. And if I had, you know, if I had to choose to be there live watching someone, I think it would, it would be super Mario. Although, I mean, Yager, I can't, I wish that this I was more question. aware. Say it again. No, this is just, I'm just saying it's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a really good question. Um, 
Yeah, it's got to be Lemieux. It's got to be Lemieux just for for the overall what he brought to the game and the way he played it. Though I mean, the puck protection from Yager, unbelievable. The the playmaking that Yager provides. But there's always been a knock on Yager since I was a young kid in that he's not a team player, and it's sort of been exposed. But coaches, one of the coaches that I had, Tim Army. I wonder where he's at these days. But he was an assistant with Washington at the time that I had a conversation with him and he was coaching one of the summer teams that I was on with the, with USA hockey. And he was just telling stories of that. Um, Yager was the, the worst to deal with as a personality as far as like not being a good teammate, uncoachable, this and that. So there's always been this thing for me. It's like, yeah, bad guy as far as Yager, but he is amazing. He's absolutely amazing at the skills that he has, that he continues to have. I'm not sure if he's playing this season or not, but, um, yeah, I mean, all, all three of those guys, but got to pick Lemieux. Yeah, I'd probably pick Lemieux as well. Uh, like, there was one season where he had 13 shorthanded goals, and uh, there was another season where he had over 80 power play points, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I, specifically in 88-89, when he had his best year, like almost 200 points, he scored 85 goals. There were like seven times where his shooting percentage was over 20, and it was – I think 27.2% one season, that was his career high. And it was in that uh, career high season, 88-89. So specifically, I would go back in time and watch him play in that season because that was arguably when he was at his very best. So yeah, I'd, probably, I'd probably say Lemieux too, but it's it's a tough call because a... <laughs> Brett Hall was probably one of the purest goal scorers yep. uh, in Blues history at that time. Fun fact, I I actually got into hockey because of Brett Hall. I, uh, I, um, during like the 1999 season, I like, cause I was wondering what famous athletes were, like had my name. And then I saw that Brett Hull was on the stars or my dad was telling me that. And then all of a sudden, like I started, like the stars were my team. And when I played NHL 99 and whenever the stars were on TV, I'd watch, uh, the stars play with Brett Hull. So I would choose Brett Hull uh, for personal reasons, but Mario Lemieux would also be pretty exciting too to watch in the spring. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so we're, we're now officially reaching an hour, 30 minutes here. Um, so uh, It's been a pleasure, boys. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah. If you guys want to have me back anytime, I would love to do uh, yeah, it. Of course. Oh, we'd, love, we'd love to have you back. I yeah. really enjoyed Th- this conversation. Yeah, thanks for, uh, for giving us voice. insight on, on, on everything that, um, that you touched up on and, and taking your time to, uh, to talk to us. So, of course, it's been great. a lot of fun. I think this, is, this might be the impetus for me to sort of start following the NHL a lot more closely <laughs> as that, you know, I'm definitely going to be paying, yeah. paying more attention. <laughs> and I, I think you even told me that you wanted to, like, we should go to uh, college hockey games or something. So um, I look forward Definitely. to that um, as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, and uh, good luck and everything. I appreciate too. it, guys. Thank you. Have a great weekend. And yeah. uh, I look forward to it. I, I love the podcast. I really, um, I've listened to a number of episodes. And uh, I really love the sort of the analytical approach you guys take is great. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. We will. We will. Have a great weekend, boys. All right. Thank Thank you. you.